Christmas 2021. We're going to take our, our reading from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. So if you would, stand as we read God's Word. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world would be registered. This census took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with, the, with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the end. This is the word of God. Oh, thank you. Please be seated. You guys are such good students. Yes, let's pray. Father, thank you for this time to study the infallible, inerrant word of the living God. Thank you for the Christmas story. Thank you for the truth that Jesus came to this earth as a man lived in his life as a man, died on the cross for us. He experienced everything in this world that we experienced. He is our Savior, our Lord, our coming King, and we worship him today. Thank you for the gift of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as you know, the Christmas story is so familiar, and we can, you can take it from different angles and that sort of thing, but there's no need to try to embellish this story. This story stands on its own. God came to earth. God became a man. The Christmas story is wrapped up in a single statement. Listen to this. The giving God gave his best. The giving God gave his best. He gave himself. And you will see this. Imprint this indelibly on your minds for the rest of this week. God gave his best. That little baby ultimately died on the cross for our sins. God gave his best indelibly imprint that on our minds. The reason we have life and hope and breath and anything else is because of Jesus Christ. His life guarantees our life. As long as we believe in Him, the giving God gave His best. Isaiah 9, 6 says it the best. Unto us, focus on that, underline it. Unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. The giving God gave his son to enter the chaos of life to become one like us so that we could live with him. God's indescribable gift. It'll come up on the screen again. 2 Corinthians 9, 5. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, and we cannot say it enough. The Lord Jesus Christ is the greatest gift that anyone could ever get on Christmas. Focus all eyes on Jesus. All eyes on Jesus. Jesus said this. I can just imagine the conversation in the Godhead. I will become like one of them. Can you imagine God becoming like one of us? God became a mere man. It was unto us that God gave his only begotten son. It was unto us that Jesus came. It was unto us that God gave his indescribable gift. You are special in the eyes of God. He loves you implicitly, but he came to his own and his own did not receive him. The giving God gave so much and the world just kind of pushes him away, pushes him away. The world did not receive him. The world then, folks, and the world now just doesn't care. Too busy, 
Even Christians, too busy for Jesus, too busy to have all eyes on Jesus, enamored with the glitz and the glamour of the world, mesmerized with what life is all about for me, myself, and I. The giving God gave. Folks, they've even tried to change the focus of Christmas. You hear it. Happy holidays. Don't let anyone steal your Christmas. It is Mary, and if you want to really irritate them, Christmas. Merry Christmas, you folks. There is no Christmas without Jesus. No Christmas without Christ. God became a mere man. There's no Christmas, folks, without Christ. Remember that. It isn't about happy holidays. It is Merry Christmas. Peace on earth and goodwill towards men is what Jesus brought to this world to those who are at peace with him. Remember that. Earth may not have been excited about Jesus' arrival. Remember, he came and he was excluded. He came to the end and he had to be born in a cave and that sort of thing. But I imagine it was quite different in heaven. Oh, quite different in heaven. Can you imagine the, the angels stunned? The angels mesmerized by this incredible plan that God would become a mere man. The one who created, the one who said, let there be light. And there was light. This one would become like one of them. The one who ordered the stars and set them in place, created the universe. The one that holds it all together, we see in Colossians 1.17. In him all things consist. In him all things are held together. This one would become a man. This one would come to earth and be one of them. The omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, immutable God of heaven became a man. That is an astounding story, and he did it for us. And all I can say is, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you did it for us. Scripture is replete with prophet after prophet saying, Messiah is coming. Messiah is coming. He's coming someday, year after year, decade after decade, century after century. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. But when would he come? The first hint of Jesus coming, of a Messiah, a Savior coming, was in Genesis 3.15. Adam and Eve, by the way, Adam and Eve, I believe, were real people. This isn't a fantasy. The Garden of Eden was a real garden. There was a real fall from grace when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve were holy, innocent, and perfect. The only ones ever created perfect. Just, just think about this. They could walk with God in the garden. They could talk with God face to face. They were in a holy state, what we will be in when, we're, when we are glorified, when we get into heaven. That's the state we're going to be in. But they were our representatives. And guess what? They had one prohibition. One prohibition. What did God tell them? Genesis 2.17, this was not fuzzy. This was not unclear, unlike this picture here, which might be a little fuzzy for you. Genesis 2.17, for from the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil, you shall not eat. Now, is that, is that confusing to anybody? You shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, can you imagine the conversation between Adam and Eve? Die. Die? What is die? Nothing was, it was all life in God's creation. There was no death until sin came in. The conversation must have been amazing. Does anybody in here remember Paul Harvey? Now, the rest of the story. 
Yes, well, you know what happened in the garden. The serpent tempted our, and Adam and Eve were our human representatives. The serpent tempted, they ate, and all humanity is, is facing the, the consequence of their eating. They were our representatives. And we all die because their sin has been imputed to us. God was not kidding. This was the worst decision in the history of the universe, and we are suffering the consequences. For Adam, listen to the consequences. Now, you know this. Adam, work, thorns and thistles. When you go to work and you're going, I hate this job. Hey, that's your curse. If you like your job, hey, you're, you're just ro rose above the curse. But thorns and thistles, work is going to be hard. It's going to be frustrating. And even if you have the greatest job in the world, there's problems in it. There's troubles in it. It's relentless. What about Eve? She would have pain in childbearing. But it wasn't just the birth process that would be painful. You got to raise those kids. There's going to be pain involved with raising those kids. And they found out right quick when Cain killed Abel. There's going to be pain involved in this whole process. And then we have the serpent. You're going to eat of the dust of the earth. Remember, the ser serpent is Satan. He is the adversary, the arch enemy of God. The devil is called the accuser, Diabolos, the accuser of the brethren. And instantly, God tells Satan, your days are number. There's something in theology called the Proto-Evangelium. It is the first gospel. And it's this, Genesis 3.15, just after the fall, I will put enmity, that is hatred, between you, Satan, and the woman, which would be Israel, and between your seed, Satan, that seed is singular, probably indicating the Antichrist, but also all who would follow Satan throughout the epochs of time, and her seed, the seed of the woman would be Messiah, and all the followers of Messiah the seed of the woman, he, Christ, shall bruise your head, crush your head. This would be a death blow to you, Satan, and you shall bruise his heel. You're going to cause him some discomfort. That is called the proto-evangelium. Now, you may hear this in the future for a test question. So put that in your memory banks. That's the first gospel, the proto-evangelium. I will put enmity, hatred between you and and the woman. And Israel has been a target of this satanic anger all through, the his, all through history. If you can wipe out God's people, you can wipe and prevent Jesus from coming. Every time Satan does something, God counters it. All the way to the end. God's plan was for a redeemer, a savior, a messiah to come and save mankind from their plight. God made a way for man to be right with God again, but it would be costly. It would cost his only begotten son. Sin brings death. Adam and Eve were perfect, and only one like them, another perfect human, could save mankind from their sins. There was no, nobody that was perfect. That's why there was the virgin birth. Jesus had to be born of a virgin. It had to be the God-man. Had to be the God-man. It could not be a super angel. It could not be another superman. It cannot be another world religion. There is no other way to a holy God than through Jesus Christ. That is just that simple. Jesus said so. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except by me. So God, the giving God, gave his only begotten Son 
born of a virgin. Listen to this verse. You're familiar with it in John 1.14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This is Jesus coming in the world. And don't miss this. You might not know this. The word became flesh. That word became is absolutely incredible. Listen to this. Became means a change of condition, a continued existence in a new state. Forever, Jesus would be the God-man. Divinity would take on humanity. Forever, Jesus is the God-man. You talk about a sacrifice. You talk about a love for us that is off the charts. That's what Jesus did for us. The virgin birth of the essential is not a, a, just a Christmas story tag on. The prophet Isaiah said it perfectly in Isaiah 7:14. Behold, the virgin, the Parthenos, shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. An amazing thing. The baby in the manger would eventually fulfill his purpose. And you know what the purpose of this baby was? It wasn't to be popular. It wasn't to be the, the coolest kid in campus. It wasn't to be the best one on the team. Jesus came to do the Father's will. By the way, that's why we're here. To do the Father's will. To live unto him. The price for your life. The price for my life. The price for all of our lives was this innocent one that was born and died on a tree for us. The death of the innocent so the guilty could live. We are all guilty. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who does good. There is none who seeks after God. God seeks us. It is no such thing as people seeking God until God does something in their hearts. It was unto us a child was born. Unto us a son was given. At the perfect time, everything God does is perfect. Everything God does is orderly. Everything God does is structured. He brings structure to the chaos. At the perfect time, in the fullness of time, in God's time, the son, the second person of the Trinity, became a man. Amazing. Amazing. Galatians 4.4 when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman. Jesus came at the perfect time. You remember in the past we taught on this. There was a language system. Alexander the Greek conquered the world. And the Greek language spread throughout the whole known world. Koine Greek, common Greek. Where the world would be united in a common language. And then Rome came into power. And they developed a road system which facilitated the gospel being spread. And there, then there was something called the Pax Romanus, the peace of Rome within the Roman kingdom, which facilitated peaceful travel, safe travel throughout the kingdom. And the gospel could be spread. Oh, it was at the perfect time that Jesus came, the absolute time that God ordained. And he also made announcements in a perfect order. The first announcement was to a priest named Zechariah. The announcement to Zechariah is found in Luke chapter 1, verse 11 through 17. I'll give you the short version with this since we don't have time. Zacharias was chosen to give incense at the altar. This was a high privilege. And it was his big day that he was chosen out of all the priests in Israel 
to, to serve up the incense, the, the sweet smell of aroma to God. And while he's having this high moment, he's stunned by Gabriel going, boop, appearing right before him, wham, right next to him, and says to him these words, Zechariah, at the perfect time, the angel Gabriel told Zechariah, Elizabeth will have a son. You see, Elizabeth and Zechariah were very old, well past childbearing age, never had any children. And remember, in Judaism, you're looked down upon if you don't have children. And they must have prayed year after year, decade after decade after decade, waiting for, for their child. And then it was past time. And then the angel appears and says this in Luke 1, 13. Your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. You know what John means? The grace of God. The favor of God has fallen upon you, Zechariah. John the Baptist came into the world on schedule. It was not Zechariah's schedule. It was not Elizabeth's schedule. This was God's schedule. At the perfect time, John had a mission to be a forerunner at the perfect time. Filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb, he would be the one that would introduce the world to the Messiah. John would prepare the hearts of the people who had been far from God, and he's preparing them for this Messiah that is coming. Remember, for 400 years, from Malachi all the way to Matthew, there is no prophet in the land. There is no word from God in the land. They're wondering, where is God? And the people had drifted farther and farther and farther and farther from God. So John would be a forerunner. Remember, kings would have forerunners introducing them to the populace as it came. John is that picture being filled, fulfilled as he being the forerunner, introducing the king of kings to the world who was far from God. God's timetable was put into motion. John, the forerunner, did his job, and then John passes off the scene. Job completed. The announcement then went to Mary. We pick it up in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. I'll just give you the short version on this one also. It says, in, in starting in verse 26, in the six months, the angel Gabriel, he's active. I mean, he's, he's probably getting a little out of breath with all the stuff he's got to do, zipping here and there. He, went to, he was sent to a by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin, a Parthenos, again, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. And he says these words to Mary, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, wouldn't that be just the greatest words you could ever hear? Rejoice, you can take that on yourself. Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. When you receive Jesus Christ at your Savior, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. What special words are those? Blessed are you among women. And she's troubled by this saying, and the angel notices and says, Oh, in verse 30, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, grace with God. That's how you came into the family of God. God graced you. God favored you. And you said yes to his offer of salvation. Behold, you will conceive and you'll bring forth a son he will be great. He will be called Son of the Highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And then she goes on to say, in verse 34, Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? She's a little confused about this whole thing. And the angel said these words that must have been as confusing as can be. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, 
and the power, the dunamis of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that holy one who is born will be called the son of God. And then she must have been reeling at this point. And in verse 37, the angel says these words, which I'm going to repeat again in just a second. So please implant these words indelibly in your mind. For with God, nothing is impossible. For with God, nothing is impossible. Now, let's talk about this announcement to Mary. At the perfect time, Gabriel reveals his plan to Mary. Now, she's 13 to 17 years old. She is a very young woman. And I imagine she was blown away by this visitation. Why me? Do you ever wonder why God came to you, saved you? Why me? Why do I believe this and all my brothers and sisters don't believe it? Why do I believe this and my friends on the team don't believe it? What has happened to me? God has opened your eyes and allowed you to see. Why me? Why now? How will anyone believe this story? How can she believe the story? In verse 134, remember, how can this be since I do not know a man? Listen to this. When you are in miracle country, this is something we must know. Let it resonate through your being. With God, nothing is impossible. The person that you think can never be saved, with God, nothing is impossible. Look, at you were saved and someone was praying for you and they're taking this on and looking at you and going, with God, nothing is impossible. That dude or dudas got saved. Yeah, with God, nothing is impossible. A good verse to remember. Jeremiah 32, 27 kind of typifies this verse. The background for this is Jeremiah is a prophet. The nation is going into exile. Babylon is going, to, is going to destroy Jerusalem. It's going to be leveled to the ground. And God gives Jeremiah a promise that you're going to be able to come back and rebuild. And Jeremiah just can't see this happening. Have you ever been there? When you're believing God and you're saying, oh, I just can't see this thing happening. Watch the word of God to Jeremiah. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. I am the God, the Elohim of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me, Jeremiah? Is anything too hard for me? And the answer that you're going to give to that question is, no, nothing is too hard for God. Mary's response is precious in verse 138. Let it be according to your word. Remember that. God has given us promises. Never give up. Never give up in praying for someone. Let it be according to your word, God. Your word. You've spoken it, and I'm going to believe it. The announcement then went to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 25. At the perfect time, Joseph is led in on a plan. Now, can you imagine? Jason did this teaching. And can you imagine the distress that Joseph was feeling when he found out that his bride, his betrothed, was pregnant? And then the story she told him, that the Holy Spirit came upon her. Can you imagine that? And he's supposed to buy that. Now, he's a little bit confused. And he was going to put her away secretly to save her embarrassment. Listen to this. An unbelievable Mary story requires a believable God answer. Enter another celestial being. In Matthew chapter 120, the angel says this, Joseph, son of David... 
Do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, I can just imagine, just like Mary said. Just like she said. Joseph must have been just relieved, elated. He went from being depressed and discouraged to skipping. Skipping through the... Well, tippy-toeing through, skipping through the tulips or whatever. Okay, whatever. He must have been elated. An unbelievable story. And you know what happened? Joseph obeyed. Joseph subsequently had six more kids. Jesus was the oldest of seven. Four boys and his sisters, two girls. The boys were James, who wrote an epistle, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, who they called Jude, not to confuse him with Judas Iscariot. And sisters, those are two. That's six people at least. It could be more in the family. God is a God of order, folks. God does things perfectly. He came to this earth at a planned time, perfect time. The plan was executed perfectly. In the fullness of time, Jesus came into this world. Christ is born. And that is what we are celebrating today. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And it came to pass, just like everything in God's structure, it will come to pass. This time will pass. Whatever you're going through will pass. There are, there are better pastures ahead. And our ultimate pasture is when we get with our God in heaven. This is a reality. This is truth. And it came to pass in those days that a decree, a dogma, a command went out from Caesar Augustus, the august one, the godlike one of Rome, that all the world would be registered. This census took place while Quirinius was governing Syria to give you a time frame on exactly when this took place. So all went, all of the Roman Empire had to go back, everyone to their own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, a 70-mile journey for a pregnant wife. Bethlehem, Beth, El, Beth, house, La, of, Hem, bread, house of bread, is where the bread of life came into the world. Remember, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. If you come to me, you will never hunger for anything else spiritually. I will fulfill every spiritual need that you'll ever have. You'll never thirst for anything else. You'll be fully satiated, satisfied if you come to me. That's what Jesus did. He was born in the house of bread because he was the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. Again, God does everything perfectly at the perfect time. The perfect time for God, but again, like Zechariah and Elizabeth, it wasn't their perfect time. And I can tell you, this was not Joseph and Mary's perfect time. He could have done this a little sooner before she's like this with pregnancy. You know, every bump has to pee every three seconds, you know what I mean, <laughs> on that journey. Advanced in her pregnancy, Caesar made a decree out of the blue that the Roman Empire would be taxed 
everyone would return at a set time, at a set date, it had to happen. At the perfect time, Caesar Augustus, his real name was Caius Octavius. He made a decree. A census would take place and all would be registered in their own city, the city of their birth. This would require a journey. But before we get to that journey, I want to describe or give you a little background on Caesar Augustus. The Roman government had been in constant turmoil for decades. General after general was was volleying for position as who would rule this. Senator after senator was trying to ascend to power, to steal power in Rome. Octavius, who eventually became Caesar Augustus, ascended to a supremacy in 31 BC, and he defeated somebody that you might be familiar with, Mark Antony, his rival at the Battle of Actium in 29 BC. Two years later, the Roman Senate made a decree that Octavius as Rome, would become Rome's first emperor, supreme in authority. He was given the title of Caesar Augustus, the August One. This was religious veneration. And there was born Caesar worship. And Rome held Caesar as God, higher than any other God. Now you know that this is going to cause Christians a problem. Because there is no God but our God. Caesar is just a make-believe little phony baloney God. Okay? So when Rome conquered, they ruled with an iron hand. That's called imperialism. They ruled and their edicts were imposed upon the people. A conquered people were allowed to worship their gods as long as they put Caesar as the supreme God. And like I said, this caused a problem. One man wrote this. Early Christians expected suffering. Christ had died on the cross, so there was no higher honor than to imitate that death through accepting martyrdom. Now listen to this. It is quite different in our world today. Quite different today. What do Christians expect today? Cake and ice cream, Christianity. Everything that I want, you must give me. Because Christianity is all about me. It is not about Jesus. That's really what's happening. It's all about me. Health, wealth, best life now. Christianity, folks, was birthed in suffering and martyrdom. And Christianity today is experiencing a crescendo in martyrdom. As Christians are being slaughtered throughout the world at a pace greater than any time in the history of the world. We've been through this before and we've had the statistics about all the countries that, experience, that, that, that are experiencing uh, Christian persecution. Christianity was birthed in suffering. And folks, as we get closer to the end, Christian suffering will increase. This is not good news. This will not make the headlines on Christianity today. This will not make the headlines in most churches throughout America and Australia and Europe because that's not what people want to hear. But that is the truth. That is the truth. It was into this Roman world that Jesus was birthed. The August one, Caesar Augustus, the one who thought he was so high and mighty, the one who was not, in the eyes of God, anything more than belly button lint or toe jam. He thought he was so terrific and so wonderful and so powerful 
And he was nothing. He was used by God for his purposes. The prophet said Messiah would be born in Bethlehem in Micah 5 2. Joseph and Mary were in Nazareth, at least 70 miles north of Bethlehem. Was this a problem? Not for God. Not for God. Watch the map here. Bethlehem. Where's it at? Right here. Excuse me, Nazareth. Now they had to get down to Bethlehem. The easiest route would be to go through Samaria, but there was a problem. Jews and the Samaritans hated one another. So they had to take this route, which was much more arduous, hug the Jordan River, and then cut over across the mountains to Bethlehem. 70 miles, three or four days, a tough journey for an advanced pregnant wife. God would get his people to the right place at the right time, at the perfect time. A God-inspired Caesar census was used. God directed Caesar's actions. Now, hear this, because this might be significant for you today. Proverbs 21.21 says this, The king's heart is in the hands of the Lord, and he directs it as a water course wherever he pleases. Now, think about this. Think about President Biden negotiating with Putin over the Ukraine. Nuclear weapons, a lot of rhetoric, a lot of things could happen here. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. God is orchestrating things as we get closer to the end. How about Biden talking with, I'll try this, Xi Jinping, the Chinese guy, okay, over Taiwan. That's going to be another issue by the way, if you don't know that, that's going to be another issue. Think about that. Don't panic. Don't panic because Biden's doing this, okay? Don't panic or any other president's doing it. Don't panic. God is working things out according to the counsel of his will. Kings, presidents, governors, mayors, they think they're directing things. They think they're bringing order out of things. God is behind the scenes carrying out his plan for planet Earth. And hear this loud and clear as we are looking at our chaotic world. Nothing is out of control. God is at the helm steering this ship. And it will get to its destination. And that destination is Messiah coming back, putting down the rebellion on earth by Antichrist, and ruling as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You know what to expect because you've been through the teaching in Daniel. You've been through the teaching in Revelation. You know how this will end. And you know that it's getting darker as we get close to the end. It is dark now, folks, but the light is about to burst forth on planet Earth. Hip, hip, hooray. The light of the, yes. the, light of the world is coming back. The light of the world is coming back. And by the way, you are here now. You are the light of the world. You are the one that's to illuminate your culture as Christians. Jesus, remember Jesus said, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men that they'll see your good works and glorify your fathers in heaven. We are to impact our culture. We are to be light here. Jesus coming back is not a fantasy. It is not a pipe dream. This is the truth. Now, the problem is, is that the world doesn't want the truth. This, these prophets have predicted a lot of stuff that has come to fruition exactly as prophesied. There are also prophecies that are predicting when Jesus will come back 
just as prophesied. And things are unraveling according to what the prophets have said, as we have been in many of our studies, just as has been prophesied. So Jesus is coming back is not a falsehood, not a fairy tale. It is the truth that the world doesn't want to deal with. Now, what the world calls good and what Christian calls good are very different. We call good according to God's word. The world says this, truth sounds like hate to those who hate the truth. Now, the truth is, is that God has standards in his word. Marriage is between one man and one woman for life, okay? There are two genders, male and female. That's it. You can't make it up on the fly. You cannot change it. You cannot change your DNA. Abortion, the world says, it's great, it's wonderful, it's terrific, it's women's rights. God says, oh no, that is evil, that is murder. The world says, let's open borders and let everybody be one big happy family. God says, no, there has to be borders because humanity is evil and we want to check evil with other nations. The world is going more and more towards godless Marxism, thinking that humanity has the answer to world's problems. Oh no, look around at Marxist countries. Those are the countries people are trying to flee from. Flee from. And now we have America wanting to be like a Marxist country. We have messed up in this country because we have kicked God out. That is a tragedy. God will use Caesar for his purposes. And don't forget this. Joseph and Mary are still betrothed. That means this. They are in the engagement process. The marriage has not been consummated. And you know what that means. God wants you to know that Mary maintained her virginity until after Jesus was born. And then came all the other brothers and sisters. At the perfect time, in the fullness of time, it was time. Verse 6, while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And think about it, I've mentioned this many times. No mom, no sisters, no aunts, no friends to help with this delivery. Just Joseph, and you know what his profession was? A carpenter, a lot of people think that that was a stone-type mason. Big, rugged, calloused hands. Joseph is going to help little Mary with this delivery. Now, I want you to think about this. In the natural, while Mary and Joseph are going through this, can you imagine their feelings? Alone, isolated. This is a one-time thing for them. Mary doesn't have a lot of experience with delivery if she's 13 to 17. She hasn't assisted in a lot of those. Joseph doesn't know what end is up. He doesn't have a clue what's going on with this thing. But in the supernatural, it's quite different. The host of heaven were there. The Father, the Holy Spirit were present. The delivery room was actually packed in the spirit realm. Indeed, this was a VIP birth. The most important in the history of humanity. And the demonic realm could not get close to this. There would be no interruptions, no intrusions on this birth. Oh no. And then the place was perfect. Verse 7. Even though we don't look at it as perfect, it was perfect to God. And she brought, Mary brought forth her firstborn son, giving you a tip that there's more to come. There's not the perpetual virginity of Mary. There was more sons to come. Her firstborn son wrapped him in swaddling clothes, 
laid them in a manger, a feeding trough, because there was no room for them in the end. Jesus was born in a cave. He was born in a cave. And you know what was in that cave? Cattle are lowing the poor. And the cattle are doing their cattle thing, you know, in the cave. Stinking a little bit. You ever go up to Michigan State to those cattle things? It about suffocates you going in there. Okay, that's where Jesus was born. The place, but it was perfect. The surroundings were not comfortable. A smelly stable, a manger, a feeding trough. There was no room for them in the inn. The world makes no room for them. And listen to this statement. No room in the world for a nobody like Joseph. From all places, Nazareth, a military town, the armpit of Israel. Nothing good can come out of Nazareth. Isn't that what Nathan said? This was the setting for the birth of our king. And then we have this beautiful picture of this baby. I mean, it's so tender, so wonderful. You know, I don't care what your kid looks like when it's born. Some of them are really pretty, but some kids just look nasty. But to the mom, it is the most beautiful baby in the whole world. Well, this baby came in, and he changed the world. And he was born in a place that you would not have chosen for your child to come in. Oh, no. No room in the inn. Jesus was born into a world of corruption, greed, full of sin and unkindness. By the way, that's our world today. That's our world today. The world could have cared less about Jesus' first coming, and I think they're not going to care a whole lot about his second coming. As a matter of fact, the earth dwellers, remember we learned that term in Revelation? The earth dwellers are going to be those who fight against Jesus' return because they bought into the great delusion that the Antichrist is the Christ. That's what's going to be happening. Jesus' family was from an undesirable town. Jesus' birth was in an undesirable stable. And Jesus' birth was announced to undesirable shepherds. See, shepherds were the lower rung of that culture. The first on earth to hear about the message was the shepherds. And we picked that up in verses 8 through 13. Now, I don't have time to develop this, but you know the story. They're in their fields at night doing what shepherds do, watching their sheep on the hillside, on duty constantly, protecting them from the wolves, protecting them from all the prey, protecting them from wandering off. By the way, Jesus is your shepherd. He is your shepherd. He is your great shepherd, your chief shepherd, the good shepherd. At the present time, at the perfect time, the lowly looked down upon in society were the first to hear about the birth. Isn't that amazing with God? It didn't go to Rome. It didn't go to some king. It wasn't to mayors. It was to regular people. It was like us. It was, it was like regular. It didn't go to any of those people. And their introduction to this birth was astounding and amazing. The angel appears, the glory of God, the Shekinah glory appears around them. That had to be a blown away moment for them. And then the message, unto you this day is born in the city of David, a Savior, a Savior, the Messiah has come, Christ the Lord. And then it, then it gets even stranger than that. The angels burst forth and start singing. But just think about the shepherds. Just think about the shepherds. I mean, I, I can't, I, I try to get a picture where they'd all be strained and falling on their faces and that. But you can just see the startlement, the amazement. 
I mean, that would be our face. If something like that happened to us, your, your mouth would just be, oh, I can't even do it loud. Oh, oh. And so what did, the shepherd, what did the angel have to say? Fear not. Fear not. Don't pass out. Don't pass out now. I got a message for you. Don't pass out. Yeah. And then he goes on to tell them that the Savior is born. And listen to this. The angelic choir bursts forth. The heavenly host bursts forth. And you know what they say? Glory to God. That word glory is doxa. Doxa. It means honor, renown, praise, adoration to God. Doxa to God. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. The word actually means, as it is written in the Hebrew or in the Greek, peace on earth to men who are in God's will. Peace on earth. Those who are in right relationship with God qualify to have peace on earth. Those not in right relationship will live in the chaos of this thing. The shepherd's job is to go and tell, and that's what they do. And I bet you they tell everybody the story, and we have the slide here. For unto us, oh, this is what the angel said to us. It's unbelievable, folks. For unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior, a Savior, which is Christos, the Kurios, the Lord, the Master, Ruler, Owner. He is the one that was born. Messiah is here. Messiah is here. And they went and they told, and by the way, the Great Commission tells us, go into the world. Tell everybody about Jesus teaching them to obey all things I've commanded you. Lord, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We have the same job as the shepherds to go and tell. Go and tell. Now, in closing, unto us, please do not forget this. Unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. God did it unto us. This Christmas season, for just a moment of time, Take your eyes off the glitz, off the glamour, off the marketing, off the stuff. All eyes on Jesus. When you're graduating from boot camp and you're walking smart and you're walking in step and they say, I, as you go past the, the stand where the generals are, the admirals are for us, eyes left. Boom. All eyes on Jesus. All eyes united together as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Take it off the world all eyes on Jesus. Oh, that would have been a great picture. I was trying to find one that would, be, that would typify that. 2,000 years ago, God came to earth for us. We were on his mind. The second person of the Trinity became a man. Jesus was a baby just like us. He had to be burped like us. He had to be changed like us. He had to have his knee scraped just like us. The kids in the neighborhood kind of pushed him around. What well, kind? Of, I don't know how that all worked, but just like us, I can just imagine. He experienced the chaos of life, the pain, the suffering like us. And guess what? Jesus died just like us. He died special, but he experienced death just like us. He raised from the dead. Folks, that's our hope. Just like we will. Just like us. You are special to God. So important that God would die for you. The thought that God loves me, he really loves me so much to come here to become like us, like me, is mind-blowing. 
So one so great would be like one of us. Astounding. There was a song written years ago. It's called, Who Am I? And I won't sing it, but I'll read the words. Who am I? Who am I that a king would bleed and die for? Who am I that he would pray, not my will, Lord, but thy, Lord, thy will, Lord? The answer I may never know, why he ever loved me so. To an old rugged cross he would go, for who am I? Who am I? You look at your life. I'm nothing. Yet God holds me in high esteem. God loves me. He gave himself for me. Jesus came the first time and the world did not blink. The world did not care. The second coming will be unwelcomed by most men. But seen by all, it won't just be an isolated in an isolated place. When Jesus comes, the whole world will see him. Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him, Revelation 1.7. This will happen. We know this will happen because we have seen the plan unravel right before our eyes. We see our world changing right before our eyes, just as Scripture has outlined. The baby became a man, fulfilled the Father's will to die for us, and never forget, Jesus entered the chaos of this world and he did it for us. An astounding. The slide comes up. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 says it so wonderfully. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The giving God gave his son. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Folks, I can say one thing that I know for sure. The King is coming. The King is coming. The King is coming. Please, this Christmas season, may we remember, and for the rest of our lives, not just for the season, for the rest of our lives, remember it was on to us that Jesus came. It was on to us that he died. It was on to us that he will return. Jesus did it for us. Let that sink in. While we are here for this short time called our life, may we give all of us to him. Jesus has done everything on to us. Now may we live on to him. For his glory, for his doxa, for his, his esteem, for his honor. Jesus has come. Jesus will come again. And for the church, the cry is, Maranatha. 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 Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Come and take us out of this mess. Now, look, at if you're not rightly related to Christ, you're going, that's some weird sounding stuff right there. If you knew what God has prepared for you, remember the, the scripture in, in Psalms, Timios, you know, precious in the sight of God is the passing of one of his saints. Timios, precious. Yakur in the Hebrew, precious. Honor, esteemed in the, in the sight of God is the passing of one of his saints. 
If we knew what was awaiting for us, we'd have an attitude, I can't wait to get there. I can't wait to get there. May this be your best Christmas ever unto him. All eyes, all eyes on Jesus. And might I say to you, Merry Christmas, brothers and sisters. Merry Christmas. And thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This is the greatest gift you'll ever receive. Ever. Ever. The perfect gift at the perfect time given unto us this Christmas season. All eyes. All eyes on Jesus. All hail King Jesus. All hail Emmanuel. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time to study your word. Thank you for the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for his life. Thank you for his death. And thank you for his resurrection. Without the resurrection, our faith would be in vain. Thank you that he took all of the wrath of God that I deserved upon himself. And in order to, be, to go to heaven, to be in communion with you, all I have to do is believe the, that he died for me and receive the gift of salvation. I have to do that. It has to be personal. So, Lord, I pray right now that every person in this room has said in their heart, I believe, Jesus, that you died for me. I put my trust in you. I commit my life to you. And I receive the gift of salvation that you have offered. Please do that today if, that has, if you have not done that in the past. Thank you, Father, for this season. And may we have for just a moment through all of the stuff that goes on at Christmas, have all eyes on Jesus. All hail King Jesus. All hail Emmanuel. In Jesus' name, amen.